Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey everybody, welcome to the Biology Report. I tell you what, excited about this one. A couple of superstars in Australian colours. Uh, first off, a man who played 66 test matches for Australia, 125 one-dayers, an Ashes legend, World Cup hero, but more importantly, rated the number one Canberra Comets player of all time, Bradley Haddon. Thanks for joining us. Mate, Flem, I'm, it's actually my honour to, to be here today. One, I, I don't think I'm the number one Comets player. I think Merv Hughes definitely holds that. Oh. Uh, at your butt. I, I'm in day three of hotel quarantine. And I'm just excited to to talk to someone. Um, I normally have to wait 30 seconds when someone knocks on my door for dinner. So I haven't seen anyone for four days. So it's great to see you two. Oh, mate. Oh, mate. Well, the other person on this, Bradley, you played a lot with, and I was perusing his book, Driven to Succeed, written after 16 test matches. But he was averaging 79. It says on the back, Hads, he, ad- he adores the game, analyzes it researches it, respects it, he eats it, sleeps it, he drinks <laughs> it. And cricket fans around the world love him for it. It is, of course, Dougie Bolland. Oh, sorry, uh, Mr. Cricket. <laughs> g'day, oh, yeah. I think, um, yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, and g'day, Hads. Um, I think that the best thing about that book is you, you touched on it there is, Hads, if you're in quarantine and you're struggling to sleep, just read, a, just read a chapter or two and you'll be gone for 12 hours in no time. Don't worry about that. But, uh, yeah, good to see you, boys. Uh, so I actually, mate, it's pretty insightful and it's oh, pre-season. So I, I encourage people to, uh, particularly batters, to get it. But, I mean, I reckon it's the only cricket book I've read since the 1930s one where you actually had a scorecard up there of your <laughs> triple hundred. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the old, uh, yeah, the, the, the score has done it and, no doubt colour-coded, uh, <laughs> against Essex. Yeah, that was a very flat batting pitch that day. And, um, yeah, luckily uh, managed to get a couple off. The fast outfield, flat batting pitch. I think even you could have got 100 there. Maybe not 300, but maybe you could have got 100. Yeah, none for 100. <laughs> hey, Hags, what about now? You're coming back from the IPL. Uh, the sun rises there. What was it like in the UAE? And obviously you would have wanted to go all the way, but uh, not just good enough this year. Yeah, no, we, we didn't play the, um, the the best cricket this year. Uh, we had a really successful um, year, I thought, the, the first year. And, and this year, yeah, we, we just didn't hit our straps. But I'll tell you an interesting thing that will come out of the, the tournament is the wickets leading into the 2020 World Cup. Uh, it, it's it's going to suit, I think, a lot of the subcontinent teams. I, I know as the tournament went on, and it wasn't that long a tournament compared to normal, but you notice the wickets were really, really tied. Batting come really hard in the middle and late overs. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with the 2020 World Cup starting soon. And, and had to, with the Sunrisers, going back to them, um, obviously tough tournament. Um, you're in the inner sanctum, and I'm not sure how much you can say, but Davey Warner... Uh, left out of the team. Um, what was the reasoning behind that? I know we've been battling a bit, but he's obviously doing great service to the team over a long period of time. And then I guess second part of the question, what does he need to do to turn his form around so he's ready for that T20 World Cup? Yeah, I think um, the, the answer to the back half of that, his form, we, we couldn't really, um, he couldn't really get a gauge on leading into the World Cup. He only played two games. His training habits are really good. He's super, super fit, um, Dave, at the moment. He's He's pretty enthusiastic around the group, which um, which is pretty tough. The circumstances that he found himself in um, was something. He's he's a legend of IPL. He's I think he's in the top three scorers. So 
And then to make a decision um, uh, well, those above us um, that, that he wasn't going to be in the team was, was tough for him to, to take. Um, but from Australia's point of view, he, he sort of knuckled down a, a lot, really got into his training. He, he looks like he's in good shape with um, where his game's at. Uh, he did a lot of netting. As I said, he was super fit. Um, yeah, it's just a disappointing uh, way for that um, relationship to end because he's given such a, a lot of success to the Sunrises over a long period of time. That's good to hear about his body because I was worried last summer, you know, was that the first signs of it actually starting to break down because we obviously want him um, for the test series, which we'll talk about a bit later. Must feel You must feel comfortable coaching there knowing that you can hand the captaincy reins to, to Kane Williamson. Yeah, it was actually good. I think that's one of the beauty about IPL. You, you get to, to work with these different players. You, you spend a lot of time, I know, with the Kiwis abusing a lot of the time. Um, so it was... It was actually a. It was good. To, I mean, he is. You see, with those the great the game and, and Husters in, in this um, boat as well. That their training habits. Um, that they've all got this. You can say weirdness about how they go about it. They're just so obsessed with their preparation, and, and you can see why they have the success they do on the on the field. You just have to talk about Husters' book. They're going <laughs> eat. I sleep. I breathe. But. That's what makes these players, I think, great. The, the way they analyse the game, his training habit, his attention to detail on what he needed before the, the next game, the bowls he had to face, it was just second to none. So it was, it was good to work with those guys. He's a, he's a good leader. You can see why um, the Kiwis have had a lot of success. He takes the winning and everything out of the equation and it's just about making sure your process is in place all the all your team is making sure that they're doing all those little things together that are that eventually get you to success. We'll all have our good days and bad times, but appreciating everything you do together to get to those times. So going towards the T Twenty World Cup, boys. Um, the other thing is, Huss, that they don't have a lot of squares over there in the UAE. So, um, what's Australia? I think just watching even the last couple of series in Bangladesh and West Indies, you, you've got to pick the right team for the conditions. If you don't get it right, you're cooked. Yeah, definitely. And there's 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 basically three main grounds. There's one up in UA, uh, uh, Abu Dhabi, there's one in Dubai, and then one in Sharjah. And um, I haven't been there for this sort of part of the tournament, but certainly playing uh, or uh, coaching there at the IPL last time, it, it seemed like they were all a fair bit different in the way they sort of played. And, and so... Yeah, I think you're right. We're going to have to sort of make sure that they read the conditions really well. I'm sure they'll tap into some guys that have been playing at the IPL, guys like Glenn Maxwell, Steve Smith, to, to really get a good understanding about what each pitch is doing and what's the best team for the conditions. I, I think Australia's actually got a pretty good squad. Um, I think we cover all the bases pretty well. We can go in with uh, two spinners if, if need be. And, in fact, that's why I'd like to go, actually, for, for most of it. I think Agar and Zampa work pretty well together. Um, if the conditions are really bad, you could throw a third one in there with Schwepson perhaps as well. Oh, if, definitely. If you've got that extra balance of having someone like a Mitch Marsh or a Stoinis can come in and bowl some overs as well. It's going to be interesting to see which batting order they go for Australia too because Mitch Marsh did really well batting at number three in the previous uh, couple of tours. But, Willie, is that the best spot for him to bat or do you need someone like Steve Smith to come in and, and you know, play the spin well through the middle of So I'm going to be fascinated to see which way the Australian uh, selectors decide to go. Yeah, I'm interested with that too. I think Huss having a look at the wickets and the conditions over there, I think you have to go in with Mitch Marsh at three. I think the top four batters have to go really hard and try to take advantage of the that, that early part of the game. And, and if you lose a couple of wickets, I, I think that's okay. I, I would bring someone like Steve Smith in at number five. Um, I, I think having a look at how the IPL played out, the conditions became a lot harder at the back ends. Uh, to manipulate the spinners. And the one thing he's really good at, and he sort of made a name for himself at the start of his career, actually batting down there and closing out 2020 games, is he can control that part of the game. Then you've got Wade and Stoinis and that behind him. An interesting selection, I'm curious, with being over there, we've got three spinners that go exactly the same way. Mm, yeah. I think Nathan Lyon with... Um, in that squad could have played a role. Not Not every game. You talk about in 2020, you talk a lot about role play. And we, we come up against West Indies are in our pool. They've got a lot of left-handers in their team. 
see someone like Nathan Lyon could have played a really big role there in that match. And as you know, to, to get through that group stage can sometimes be the hardest to, to do. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how they – I think they have to play two spinners. Um, I, I, I think you've also got to find a, a spot for, for Swepson. I, I think Agar and Zamp have done an outstanding job for us for a long period of time. But Swepson, I, I reckon, can get Beach on the outside of the bat with his leg spinner. The, the other two attack the stumps. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see which way they go. But I definitely think they have to go with two spinners. I think Maxwell can probably help out by spinning it the other way, but he's certainly not in the same class as Nathan Lyon. What about the toss hats? How important are the tosses going to be? Because watching from afar, it seems like the conditions could change quite a lot from the first innings to the second innings in the IPL. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to, the toss is going to play a huge part. Um, and, and the one of the big part, um, I, I think, could come into play there as well. And, and it'll vary at different grounds. I know Dubai started to get a lot of view um, come in. So, that the wicket can change um, mid-innings there. Um, Sharjah, the dude didn't come into play a lot, but he, he didn't want to be chasing runs there. Um, there. There's no way in the world you, you wanted to be chasing runs um, there. The, the wicket slowed up and they look really, really tight. Um, and one thing going back to with the wickets, in the IPL, if you didn't win the power play, you didn't win the game. So that's why I reckon Mitch Marsh and guys like that are going to be really important on those wickets to take advantage of those first six overs. And obviously we want the um, the old school going for one more battle, don't we, Finchie and, and Davey? Like to have big tournaments, runs right at the top when, when it's not turning too much. You probably already alluded to it, Had, so you, you definitely go weighty over Inglis. Yeah, I, I think they've, they've shown their cards with that. Um, I, I think I think if, if Finchie doesn't come up, I, I think you could move um, with his knee. I'm, I'm not sure where he's at at the moment, but you, you can move Wade up to the top and, and then um, Inglis can bat in the middle. The, the one thing I really liked about Inglis's play is I, I watched him during the Big Bash last year. He, he sort of overplayed his hand a little bit at the top of the order at the start of the, the campaign. But once he moved into the middle order with the Scorchers, I, I think he really controlled the tempo of the game. Um, he, he's got yeah. a really good have been able to, to play the lap shots and, and get to the other end. So he, he's, he's an option um, that you could use at the back end of the game. And you talk about role players. I, I think he's a real role player in the last five overs. But Matthew Wade can play that role as well. So I think he'll get the first crack. What do you reckon's minimum finish for the Aussies? You know, I, I have, it's tough the, the round games. You know, we've got England and the West Indies. But I'm hoping we, we get to the semis and it's a you know, lottery after that, you think we'll make the semis at least? Oh, I'm, I'm pretty bullish, actually, Flem. I, I think Australia can go all the way to the final. Um, and I, I know I, I, I'm hearing hads with the um, subcontinental teams being used to the conditions. I, th- I think we've got a really good squad and I think we can cover all the bases there. It's certainly got to have a bit of luck and we've got to go, a lot, lot that's got to go right. As you mentioned, we need that top three, possibly probably four. Maxwell throw him in there at four. They they probably yeah. need to have big tournaments as well. But we've got a bit of X factor with the ball. Um, they're, they're, they're an experienced team now, and they've actually played a fair bit of T20 cricket together, and that they all know their roles quite well and, and are quite settled in their roles. So I think that's going to be pretty important. So if they can start well, get used to those conditions as quickly as possible and, and get their confidence up, I, I honestly believe that Australia can go a fair way and, now, there's some bloody good teams out there. Like India on paper look like an unbelievable oh. good team as well. But I honestly, I honestly reckon Australia, you know, no, no one's giving them much of a chance. I think they can just sneak under the radar and, and hopefully get on a bit of a roll. Yeah, see, I'm with you there, Hus. I, I think for the first time in a long time, we, we've got some options and some really good balance um, in, in the squad. I, I like the, the fast bowlers. I, I like Mitchell Stark in a World Cup. Um, I, I think he's going to play a huge, huge role up, up front with the new ball to to get wickets. And one thing found on the, the wickets over there was the height of the bowlers as well. Height made a uh, difference, and, and that's what we've got. We've got Pummo, we've got Hazelwood, we've got height. Josh Hazelwood bowled really, really well yeah. for, for Chennai over there through the middle overs when they were tough. So I, I agree. I, I think um, Australia will be disappointed they don't make the final. Well, I just hope they don't let you two down. Now you've actually put that pressure on them. What are, you so, <laughs> what are your thoughts, Flynn? Oh, I think we can, but I, I, England and India, well, India worry me because they're, they're coming straight out of the IPL. But the problem 
a lot of the time is in World Cups, expectation. And and for once, I, I think the expectations are, are, are lower us, are on us. And a lot of it's gauged on our squad that went to the West Indies and Bangladesh. Like mm. half of them are gone. Yeah. So, yeah, let's win it. Victory. Australia takes the ashes. But victory is the least that men play cricket for. They play it for a host of reasons. So what I want to win, boys, is the, the ashes coming up. And looking at both of your fine careers, what stands out to me is your ashes record. So Hus, for you, you know, you average 59 against England, 50 overall. Pads, besides your, your keeping, you know, you average 41 with the bat with a career average of 33, 300s against England. So I don't know if you've had time to reflect on your career, but is that something that you hold highly, your record in a Nashes series? Yeah, I, I think from, from me personally, it was every, we know the cliches, every test match is important and we treasure everyone we play. But to me, the, the theatre behind an Ashes campaign was <laughs> And I remember Matthew Hayden um, saying to me early um, doors, he said, oh, every test match is great. He said, but if you don't win in Ashes, everyone will forget you straight away. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just enjoyed the, the theatre of it, the, how you had five tests, that it, 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 whether it would be on an emotional level, on a skill level, it just tests you everywhere. Even if you're walking the kids to school, someone would always have an opinion on the Ashes <laughs> um, and you couldn't get away from it. Um, and and I just I enjoyed that that battle and and just what it meant not only to yourself but the whole nation got behind you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's where the motive the extra motivation comes from. You, yes, it's so great to be part of an Australian Ashes team, but you actually feel like you're playing for so much more than that. There's so much history and tradition. You feel like you're representing the, every Australian that's out there on our land. <laughs> You've got to beat the bloody palms. That that's the thing. So. You, fit, you take on a bit of that responsibility and it does push you on a little bit more. Um, and, and also, you've, as Had's touched on as well, you, you come into whichever town the, the, uh, the test match is in, you come into Adelaide, it feels like the whole city <laughs> is just there for the cricket, you know, and everyone's there, you know, just there for the cricket. You come, to, you come to Perth and it's just cricket week, Ashes week in Perth, and everyone comes from the country. They all come into uh, the Wacker ground and watch the game. You go to their Boxing Day test, it's obviously massive. Sydney, Brisbane, it's just a huge event wherever you go and it's hard not to get caught up in all that emotion. I, I remember also one of the first series we played and there's a lot of talk about the Barmy Army um, <laughs> and, and I thought that was part of the theatre. I, I, I heard people in the past say, oh, you've got to get rid of the Barmy Army, but oh. that was one of the greats of playing in an Ashes campaign. Some of the songs that they come up with, I, I remember in 2005, you know, that great series we had, pretty Australia lost, but I was on that tour and didn't play. And I remember walking the drinks around and the Barmy Army going, who are you? Who are you singing all your songs? <laughs> I remember going back. Oh, I'm going to cop this all day. So I got a program and I circled my head and, and I just sort of handed it over to them. And, and, and seeing the funny side of it, yeah, you had to sort of play along um, with yeah. them as well. Being on the other side of it, it could really get people down. But it was also the theatre behind it. They they respected the game. They gave it to you. But if you got a hundred or a good play, they'd, they'd stand up and acknowledge um, um, what you've done. You would have experienced that, Cliff. Yeah, my encouragement for for Aussie play win them over. Yeah, win them over because um, that, that, they'll actually support you. Yeah, they're, they're general cricket fans, aren't they? Um, and that's one thing. In the couple of ashes I played in that we won at home, yeah, you know, we we flogged them on the field, but they certainly outsung us in the outer. The Barmy Army. Well, I found myself singing along a little bit sometimes. At Gully there, I'd be Mitch Johnson. Be bowling, he bowls to the left, he bowls to the right, Red Mitchell Johnson, and I'd be singing along a bit with you. No, <laughs> I, I, Mitch Johnson kept bowling bounces at me in the nets. <laughs> I found that with Freddie Flintoff. Remember when he used to be the top of his arc? He just gulled three Red Bulls on the sideline, put two Nurofen in enemy come charging in, snot coming everywhere. And all you were thinking, you're going super, super afraid. You're thinking, oh, get it out of your head. Just, <laughs> just face the ball in yeah. front of you. That was great. Hey, boys, I'm keen to talk about a couple of series, 06, 07 with you, Huss, and 2013, 14-14 with you. But just how you mentioned, Fred, um, 09, can you talk us through that spell at Lords? It was his last sort of 
gasp, wasn't it? Like, after that, he was hooked for the rest of the series besides running you out that last bloody test match, Huss. What was no, it I you ran and Hunter out? That was the problem. That's right. Yeah, you ran, you rang Hunter out. That's right. Well, no one remembers that. that. No. <laughs> I didn't coming up later on. behind the stumps. He just kept telling me about it for the rest of the bloody day. <laughs> and we were, but I, I was um, over there for that test. And you know how pessimistic they can be. Like, what did we need? We needed about five hundred or something. But when you and Punter put on one hundred and eighty, like they, they they were gone, weren't they? <laughs> And hobbling, oh. Freddie hit the stumps. But but had was it that? But were you? Was it you and Puppy started up against in that yeah. in that when he fired up? Yeah, I, I can remember um, that for a number of reasons. One, he hit me flush in the box. But I, I can remember <laughs> he, he also he he got into that spell, and you could see up the crowd with cheer, and it was coming up at 150 in the score uh, on the scoreboard every time it come up. They'd cheer and louder. But I remember at the back end of the day, he got tired. And we started to get him a bit and got on a bit of a roll. And I remember the umpires were talking um, about bad light. And I, and I remember going to the umpire said, to Michael, I said, we've got to stay out here. I said, because he, he's going to go back. He's going to drink 30 Red Bulls. He's going to be full of drugs. He's going to be snorting again, bowling 150 Ks next okay. morning. We've got to put a dip in this scoreboard. Anyway, we went off the bad light. I was 90 not out. Hit the second board, a second slip the next day. So... Yeah, I'd like to thank the umpire for looking after us for bad light that day. But what you don't know, Harry, Pat was at the other end going, we've got to get off here, mate, we've got to get off. <laughs> uh, I reckon we had him. I reckon he was tired. He couldn't get off. But, mate, he was uh, – that, that was the beauty about it. That, those characters um, – he's seen it a couple of times. Harmison's bowled spells at Lords. Flintoff's bowled that. We've seen Archer bowl the one at Smith and uh, yeah. Lavishate. But they're, they're the moments you, you remember. that you, you want to be out there. You've got the slope. Um, he's flying down the slope. You, you know if you can just get through that, you can score quick at Lords when the sun comes out. So they're, they're all the battles that you remember most. And as a fan, you, you know that. Like you're just going, if you two can get through this this spell, you know, we're probably going to win the test match and, and the series. But Huss, what about 06, 07? Like it's your first Ashes um, series, 05, which Hads was talking about, amazing series, and, and we lost. What, what are your memories in the, in, in the build-up that, um, you know, that it was payback time? And then from that harmless and delivery on, you know, what was the sort of mood in that and those first couple of tests? It was unbelievable. I mean, honestly, um, I, I was reasonably new to the uh, test team at that stage, and um, I'd never seen a team just so intense and motivated to do well in that series. Obviously, coming off the back of the 2005 loss, um, the, the, the senior players basically ran it. And, that, and it was guys like Warren, McGrath, Ponting, Gilchrist, Hayden. They had fire in their eyes. And, and they said, and, and they made everyone else accountable. And they said, every single one of you, make sure you take care of your preparation. We've got to be ready to go. We're going to smash these blocks. And I remember thinking, I'm going to run through a brick wall just at that first <laughs> but, but the other thing that was a bit humorous, Gail then spoke. And he sort of said, well, also, you've got to sort your wives out. There's no arguing between the wives. <laughs> you know, we've got to make sure the wives are getting on as well. You know, we can't leave anything to chance here. So we look after our preparation, look after your wives, make sure you're treated well, then we'll be right. And I was like thinking, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> you would have thought, where, where is that coming from? <laughs> I had no idea, mate. I, wasn't, I, I didn't know what was going on. It was bloody hilarious. <laughs> And I suppose, yeah, significant one there in the first test, Ponting as captain. It's my personal right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it on and set up the whole series. Yeah, well, he, he was just in an unbelievable, uh, rich vein of form at that stage, and um, yeah, you know what he's like. He's such a competitive beast. Um, and once he just got himself in, he just was, he was just gonna keep the foot on the throat. And it's made it scary batting with him. You know, it's, yeah. it's like coming down at the mid-wicket uh, sort of uh, conferences. And he's glaring at you with those eyes saying, don't you dare give these blokes a chance. Don't you give, them a, give it away here. You stay on your game. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, Ricky, no worries. It was actually easier facing English bowlers than it was facing Ricky in the middle of the pitch. That's where you got it from, Huss. <laughs> Hags, a little bit more on that. No, I remember one of the first times ever batting with um, Huss. It was in a one-day game. I think it was in Malaysia, actually. Uh, we put that partnership on against the 
the West Indies. And, and you know how good Husk was at controlling the tempo of the game, accelerating at the end. And I remember coming out to bat, we're in a bit of trouble, and Husk, I don't know, 40 off 20 balls, doing it easy. Yeah, Come right. in the first uh, center wicket, Conrad goes, I don't know where to score. I'm going, what, what do you mean you don't know where to score? He says, I'm bowling here, they're doing this, you're swinging, and he's taking the weight. I'm going, well, Husk, I can't. Where, where am I going to score? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, like to get to know, it's it how you get to know your players and what makes them turn on. And that's what made Husto so great. He was always on in the middle, and that was his way to, to vent. Uh, yeah. My way was to chill um, pretty much and try to hit every second ball for four or six. But uh, <laughs> I'm at that stage again. If he can't score, what am I going to do? I, I, I'm not going to go to I remember, Flem, I remember batting with Hads in the 2010 Ashes series, first test at the Gabba. And we're in a bit of a precarious position. Four down, Hads comes to the crease, and we put on a big partnership. And Hads gets to like 80-odd, maybe 85, 88, something like that, and he just starts trying to hit every ball for six. And I'm like, Hads, what are you doing, mate? And he goes, oh, mate, I'm not going through the nervous 90s for long. If I'm in the 90s, I'm getting in and out of them as quickly as I possibly can. So he's going bang, 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 100, and then they kept going. It was bloody hilarious. Well, I'll tell you what, though, Hus, that, that was – uh, I remember a from um, Anderson and Broad there that the first – that was probably as good as fast bowling as uh, I've ever faced. Um, mm-hmm. I remember they were both on song. Uh, you, you couldn't do much of it. They will challenge you. They hold the, the Gabbard um, crowds going. And, and I remember well, in the wicket saying, where, where do we go? Do we take them on here or do we get through? But the bowling was just so world-class. Mm-hmm. We knew if we could get them to the back end of the game, we, we, we could get them a bit. But I remember that. Um, session that that was as good as fast bowling in Test cricket as I faced. I think we scored about thirty runs or something in the session. Yeah, and and what was the sort of the, the difference? You know, with Anderson and Broad. Oh, well, I think they were just relentless, really, with their line, and yeah. they, they knew the game was on the line at that stage as well. And and like quite often, great players they they seize that moment. You know, they identify this is a key moment in the game, and and they just were relentless, line and length, building up the pressure. Very skillful bowlers as well. There's just enough movement there either way. Um, I don't think the second new ball might not have been that old, so so they had a yeah. little bit to work with there as well. And, and they just, I don't. It's just a good. That, that's what I loved as well. That that battle in Test cricket. You know, two teams just going head to head, bat versus ball, and, and it was high quality cricket. And to get through the other side, um, that that's what you sort of, I know, you feel quite proud about at the end of it all. Yeah, and just things about Stuart Broad uh, and, and playing. Playing those campaigns, you get to know the, the what what turns the players on. And, and Stuart Broad was one of those bowlers. You can see at the top of his mark some spells where you do that double knee jump and he, he's got that bounce in him and you think, oh, hang on a minute, this is going to be one of those spells. He's done it to us a couple of times. He, he's, he's taken five or six wickets in a spell and and you can just feel as one of those moments where you go, hang on a minute, this is this is the moment Test Cricket's um, all about. This is why you play. This is the challenge you want because... When he got into that mood, he, he was a tough bowler to handle when he got into that mood. And well, just, just quickly, uh, uh, as, as good as we're sort of building up Stuart Broad and, and uh, Jimmy Anderson there, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Anderson might have needed to get his eyesight tested as well, though, because I think for that whole session that Hads was talking about, he called me Dave. Uh, come on Dave you know what what are you going to do for us today Dave every single ball and and eventually after about two hours I had to say you know Dave's my brother he's he's down in Victoria playing the Sheffield Shield game at the moment you know I'm Mike but he continued calling me Dave for the rest of the game anyway well that was 10 years ago Huss imagine his eyes now when he's 39 (laughs) they're they're both still going we'll talk about the current (laughs) one coming up but they're still going those two but um Hey, just to finish 0607, yeah, just Adelaide, day five. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be commentating at um, radio, so I basically had a lot of stories written down because it's going to be a draw. <laughs> and and they went nowhere, did they? And, you know, Warney coming off number 150, he, he was up and, and extraordinary scenes for the rest of the day. It was unbelievable, Flynn. I, I was exactly the same as you. I, I was walked down to the Adelaide Oval, day five, whistling away, thinking this is just going to be a boring old day, Put, play it out for a draw and we'll move on to Perth for the next one. Got into the dressing room and uh, Ricky Ponting, Shane Warne and John Buchanan up the front. They said, right, sit down, boys. Um, we're having a meeting. I was like, okay, no worries. Um, and, it, like, it's quite rare to have a team meeting during a game. You know, you have them before the game and then you sort of left your own devices. And Ricky sort of spoke and he said, right, we can bloody well win this test match, but we've got to figure out how. And I was like, 
Yeah, right. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, so he said, right, we can go. We can go. We need to take nine wickets. So we need to go all out attack, set attacking field, just go for wickets every ball, or we can just sort of try and keep it as tight as we can, build the pressure, just constrict them. We might get a bit of luck, um, a run out, or a lucky wicket, something like that. And, and as a team, that's the way we decided to go. We said, all right, let's just try and just squeeze them and, and give them nothing. And we did get a lucky wicket. Strauss was very unlucky to be given out, caught in close. We got a run out. So the belief started to grow in us. And England, they, they just came just to try and play it out. So, so they started to feel the pressure a bit more as well. And you mentioned Warney. He was unbelievable. He bowled yeah. two sessions nonstop from one end, hardly bowled a bad ball. I think I can only remember one. And then that enabled Ricky to rotate the fast bowls around from the other end. Got a bit of reverse swing going. And it was just like it was meant to be. It was, it was unbelievable. And the crowd even, you know, it was a dreary start. Everyone was bored and reading the newspapers while the cricket's going on. And suddenly the crowd just started to build and the energy started to build. And by the end of the day, the noise in that place yeah. was incredible. Um, and, and I've got to say, to this day, it's still the best feeling I've had on, on a cricket yeah. field, being out there at the end when those winning runs were hit, yeah. There it is. Wonderful victory. Wonderful innings. There goes Michael Hussey. Listen to the crowd. Hads, what about 2013-14? Like, how much of that success was built with the, the 2013 Ashes series. Hoof took over the coaching. Um, they bullied us for a couple of series, but um, by the end, that last test, you know, we're unlucky not to win. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Darren Lehman taking over was a huge moment. Um, I, I think guys were just looking to free up a bit. They wanted to play. I know we talk a lot about it, but that Australian way, we wanted to get back to driving the games. We sort of felt a bit, held back about the style we wanted to play. And I think well, you talk about coaches being in the right place at the right time and perfect for that time. Darren Lehman was that person. Yeah. And we just went down in England. But once we got back to, to Australia, we had a really clear plan on what we wanted to do. We had Mitchell Johnson waiting the wings. Like What he did there, I've actually never witnessed that in my whole career. I've had the luxury of standing... Behind the stumps are some great fast bowlers, whether it be a Tate, a, a Flamin, a Brett Lee. <laughs> but Mitchell Johnson, that series, he had grown men walking out with fear in their eyes. Like, I, I remember Graham Swan, and, and, and we know the character. He's come out to bat at the gabber. He's taken centre. And he looked <laughs> at the front of him, and he, there, was no one, um, there was no one there. And he said, look behind. He goes, well, this is not going to take long. I am ready. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember because Nick Bunn had got and, and he was happy to walk off. Um, yeah. It was just scary. And they talk about, like Kevin Peterson talks about that, the, the tail enders overhearing them as a group going, we, we, we're gone, we cannot score, we can't play this. But when did you realise it? Like he had a one-day series, didn't he, in England? And, an, oh, gee, this looks a bit quick and a few of them um, look apprehensive. But his first spell was pretty ordinary. Yep. And then he swapped ends. So when did when did you feel it click? Yeah, well, I tell you, you're right. It, it actually clicked um, a bit before that. You're right in the one-day series and a one-day series in India just before. I remember him bowling in India and Buff wasn't there coaching at the time. And Mitch came back and he was bowling some unbelievable quick balls in India. And I remember ringing Buff and saying, mate, we've got to get him home. He, he's, he's ready to go. We'll do everything we can. I've kept him for a long time. This is this is different Mitchell Johnson. He, he had all his um, demons were gone. He'd been through a lot leading into that, but he was in a really good place and he was. you could just see it building up to that moment. And, and I can remember getting ready for the first test at, um, at Allen Border Oval and we're batting in pairs with Ryan. <laughs> I'm batting with Ryan. And Mitch has come in and Ryan's walked out of the net. He's thrown his hands up. And Buff was really big on everyone making sure they bat. He said, I'm not batting. I, I, this is not even fun anymore, Buff. He said, I can't see the ball. He said, ah. you, no, mate, you've got to face your counter of balls too. This is not fair. And I remember him walking out of the net, abusing Darren going, Buff, this is not right. I said, I can't see the ball. <laughs> said, this is unsafe for everyone. And I, I shouldn't be batting. And the whole time they're arguing, Mitch is there. And all I was waiting for, I can remember, was the, the timekeeper in the net to say, next net. I said, Rhino, we're right. Let's get across to the other net. So, <laughs> yeah. you, you could just see him building up for, for that series. It, it, it was great to watch. It, it was great for 
not only um, what he did in the field, but Hush, you spoke about oh, everywhere we went, the crowd just, when you've got someone yeah. bowling fast, it just brings the crowd into the game. And, and you know, once you, you bring the crowd in like that, it, it's like having someone else in the clip with you. That, they were so supportive. Uh, and, and they just wanted to see blood. They just wanted uh, Mitchell Johnson to terrorise England, and he did. But, but Hads, also, I, I don't know, I was on the outside looking in, but there, there seemed to be a different kind of spirit around that team. And then probably going further into that 2015 World Cup when Australia won it as well, there seemed to be a special bond amongst that group of players. Was there anything in that, or, or how was that created? No, you, you're right, there was. Uh, and, and I think that came a lot from, from the defeats we had. Um, we, we hadn't had the chance in that group to, to win an Ashes. And we probably, in the, the Ashes in England, probably let ourselves down on some really key moments. And, and, and that wasn't the, the young guys or, or anything. That, that was some of the, the senior guys where we needed to stand up and, and own it um, a, a bit. So it, it was. The really special thing is we, we only used 11 players in that series. Um, yeah. We had um, George Bailey came in at six. He was in red-hot form at the time in one-day cricket. So... He brought another um, character to the um, – but everyone was just at the stage in their career. They were really hungry for, for that success. And, and you're right, we, we had a, like a, a plan and, and Wolf had set it in place of going into the Ashes and taking that similar group into the, into the World Cup. And, and, and as I said, I, I think Wolf had come at the right time for that team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think everyone was sort of held, being held back a little bit about the style of game that they wanted to play in. And just he just he just opened that all up and and allowed us to play that sort of confrontational sort of way that Australia can play. Just back to Mitchell Johnson too, being in the crowd, you know, I'd imagine it was like when Lily and Thompson were at their peak. Um, I was in the Queensland Cricketers Club when he when he got three in, in a couple of overs, and people were running into the bar like it was like being at a football game. And then in Adelaide, you know, when he built up, he knocked over and it led to Stuart Broad, you know, stopping him. It was the longest first ball duck. And I think he was batting on another pitch when it was released. But being in the function, like people would just, like, it was like a grand final win. Um, and, you know, that's what Mitchell Johnson, what pure pace can, can, can bring, isn't it? Just that, that, that the galvanising of the, the home supporters. Yeah, you'll never forget because... Yeah, for a while, I think Brett Lee might have been actually a bit quicker, you know, playing with Brett. But he, yeah. he didn't have that hostility, that bounce off a of length, that pure fear factor that Jono had for a couple of years there. Yeah, and I think that's the, the beauty of an Ashes campaign. Uh, we, we spoke about it before. It's, you, you feel that energy too. You, you feel the cricketers' club energy. You, you feel when you oh. walk in the street at Adelaide. Uh, it, it, it's the whole theatre that everyone in the nation gets. Your mum and dad get comments about it. They go to work and they say, oh, we've seen um, the Aussies are whacking England. How good's that again? It, it, you, can't get, you can't get away from it. So you've got to embrace it. And, and Mitchell, the way he embraced it that summer and, and coming off a long injury, and the, the good oh. bloke Mitchell Johnson is, it was just great for him. It's, it's funny, Flam, because, he, you know, it's about being a bit of a character on the field as well. And Mitch Johnson, he had the, you know, he had the big handlebars yes. here and he was aggressive and in their face. And I was bumping into people in the street and they're saying, that Mitchell Johnson, he must be the nastiest guy on earth. And and it just broke their bubble and you say, well, he's actually the most kindest, gentle, nicest guy you'll ever meet in your life. But as soon as he saw an English batsman at the other end, he turned into demolition man. <laughs> and you're right, the look helped. The handlebars did help, that, that fear factor. But also, I reckon he, he I, I think in 09, he, he, you know, he wasn't sure where to go and he sort of chirped back, but not, you know, just to interact. A lot of the time, it was just a stare, wasn't it? I think it was when he got broad and it was just that, you know, Anderson in Adelaide and he just stared. It said a thousand words, that stare. What about the rest of the attack? Really underrated. How well did they bowl? Ryan Harris, Peter Siddle and Nathan Lyon. Yeah, I, I think that Mitchell Johnson gets uh, all the accolades he deserved in that test series and, and, and he was amazing. But, mate, what about the ball Ryan Harris bowled at Perth? In the second innings, when to, to get the ashes to Alistair Cooker, shaped in and decked away, hit the top of off stump. By four o'clock that uh, morning, after we won the ashes, that that ball was better than morning. <laughs> it was just, uh, as I said before, everyone was at the stage in their career that um, they were just starting to peak with everything. Peter Siddle did an unbelievable job, um, 
to control. And then, and you had Nathan Lyon, who um, who who we know now is he's the goat, one of the greatest of all times. He, he played his role. He just everything was just ready to work. Hey Huss, and I know you've spoken about it a lot, but you know when you finished, a lot of us thought big call to to give the song to to Nathan Lyon. Can you can you recollect the build up to it? And yeah, what was his response? I'm sure he was um, surprised when you chatted to him about it. But yeah, what did you like about the young Nathan Lyon? Um, well, if I'm, if I'm being honest, um, yeah, he, he well, first of all, he tried talking me out of retiring. Um, you know, yeah. that, that was the first thing. He said, no, you can't, you've got to keep playing. And, I, and I'd already made my mind right there. But then I had to pass on the song. And I actually wrote him a letter uh, and just sort of explained to him why I thought he was the right man for the job. And it just came down to character because at that time, the team was in a fair bit of transition. Um, we weren't exactly sure who was going to keep their place in the team over a long period of time. So I wasn't really sure who to give it to, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And if I'm being brutally honest, there was a few young guys that were coming through that I – I wasn't 100% sure of their attitude and their motivation for playing. You know, um, there were some guys coming through, and I don't want to name anyone, of course, but, you know, I was worried that they were playing the game for fame and fortune and, and the external sort of things, you know, the, the materialistic sort of uh, motivations for playing the game. And, and I wanted someone that was going to pass on the, the you know, that had respect for the game to really, you know, um, you know respect the hard work, respect past players, play the game for that, you know, for, for the love of the game, for the love of that baggy green cap. And yeah. they're the attributes that I wanted to pass on. And I really saw that in Nathan Lyon. Um, and, and I saw that he was a good a good person, a good character, had good morals and values. And, and I just thought that's that's the guy. And I'm, I'm hoping, I hope he can sort of go on and have a long career. Um, so it worked out well in the end, but it was a bit of a, bit of a lucky call at the time. But um, I, it was more based around character than anything else. That's a very good call. Right. Early call, good call. Yeah, I, I think Nathan's really suited that. I, I think he's grown into that role as well. He got that role, of the song, and, and as you know, that that's a that's a big part of history in Australian cricket. Oh. And, and you just see he, he's grown over time into that role, and the pride he has now to, to have the opportunity to sing it after every Test win. It, mate, he he's a perfect choice. Um, and look at his career. You're you're right with all, everything you said there before. He's uh, mate, is it not the goat for a reason? He's going to play a big role too um, this summer. Yeah. I heard he was pretty nervous. Uh, had to lead the song, especially in those early days, and was a bit a bit rough. He needed a little bit of help along the way, um, <laughs> from all yeah, reports. But, yeah, we found that in um, with the sponsors of Australian cricket. We gave him a few of the, the sponsors just leading <laughs> into that, and the, and the more we gave him of that, the better the song got him. <laughs> But you're right, boys, because, you know, I reckon, you know, we have captains and vice-captains of the country, but the, the singer of the song is almost like the spiritual leader of the team. So, you know, to get given that like you were, Huffs, is, you know, such a great honour from the teammates. But, you know, you, you, you've got to honour the people that, that sung it before you as well. I had great pleasure, Flynn, in saying the, game, the game's finished. We're sitting in the dressing room. We're relaxing, enjoying each other's company. And then saying to Ricky, uh, Ricky, uh, you're not in charge anymore, mate. I'm taking over. <laughs> and that's the only time in my whole career I could say, Ricky, sit down, please, mate. Just enjoy yourself there. Have a cold drink. Um, I'll look after. I'll take over from here, mate. It was wonderful. He <laughs> had last one, 2013-14, great series. Um, I read up about that you, at the SCG last test match, that you had a drinks break. You just added a little bit more spice to Ryan Harris's drink bottle or drink. Is that true? It is true. Um, <laughs> can you elaborate? Yeah, I can. It's been a huge summer. We're obviously about to win 5 nil. Um, and, and Ryan Harris and, and Huss knows this well. I, I haven't got a bad word to, to say about Ryan. He, oh, he was one of those guys, when he's injured in the change room, the physio would come over to him and say, mate, do not drink tonight. And you'd be looking, you'd go, no, Alex, who's the physio? No, I, I won't. And you'd walk straight over to him with a crown and say, mate, we've just won a test match. This could be our last. And you go, you're right, Brad. You, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got to, um, I've, I've got to enjoy this like it's my last. I wouldn't be able to. He goes, I'll just drink until I leave the change room. And he whispered in the ear, he goes, well, make sure Huss doesn't sing the song to three or four o'clock. So <laughs> like, I, I remember just, just sort of saying to someone, just fill Ryan's up with, with a little bit of the, the sponsor's product. and. 
I remember his first drink and he sweats a lot. He needed it. But as soon as he did, he looked straight at me and he put it away. Everyone sort of broke off. He goes, I can't wait. And that's all he said. <laughs> it's absolutely got because it's funny. I, I, we've been in lockdown in Melbourne for so long. Oh, I've gone back and reading old cricket books and, and they weren't against a little bit of champagne in the 20s and 30s, you know, on a hot day. So, you know, you were bringing back a bit of a tradition there, Hads. I've tried. i tried. I, I did a similar thing when I was um, in the uh, – <laughs> uh, up in the, the West Indies as well where I didn't play a game. I, I filled a few uh, Andrew Simon's bottle up just at the end and I think it was Gillies as well. And just when I ran it out, I just made sure I had those in his hand. You're nervous that Ricky or someone's going to get it. Make <laughs> <laughs> sure you hand those off. But, uh, <laughs> I got the same response from um, everyone I've done that to. That is gold. Time. You've got to pick your time. Hey, boys, what about this upcoming Ashes? How's it going to play out? Uh, I'm hoping the Aussies win pretty comfortably. But, uh, you know, who bats number five? You know, how, how's it going to play out? Well, I don't know. It's, it's, you look at it sort of on paper and you sort of think, gee, Australia should, should win and win well, you know. Um, but... I'm, I'm not going to be like the critics out there and write England off just yet. I'm sure they're going to come here massive underdogs and, and there's a lot of guys in there that we don't know too much about really um, and they're, they're unheralded sort of players. But, you know, sometimes that can really bring a team closer together. Uh, Joe Root's had a fantastic year uh, and so he, he'll be wanting yeah. to have a good, good series on our soil, um, particularly after his last time here. He, he probably didn't perform as well as he would have liked. But Missing Stokes and Archer, they're two massive hurt, uh, losses for England. It's got to hurt them big time. I'm worried about the English top order as well. Burns, Hamid, Crawley. Milan's not a bad player. You know, um, I don't know. They've not played test cricket before. Milan's played a couple of tests, but, I mean, they haven't played much in Australian conditions before. That top three is going to be so important. So, I don't know. Their attack looks solid. But there's not a lot of X factor there as well without that archer. I guess uh, Mark Wood could probably provide a little bit of X factor there, but I think a lot's going to have to go right for, for England to um, really challenge this Aussie team. This Aussie team, I guess um, it looks fantastic on paper. There, there seems to be a few murmurings about what's going on inside the camp, which is a little bit of a concern. So I hope that they can get that sorted out and, and get a good spirit amongst the group because if they don't get that sorted out, then I think the series will be actually a lot closer than what you think. Um, but I think looking at it, I'm looking at a 4-0 Australia at this stage, uh, all things being equal. Yeah, I, I seen an interesting thing the other day. I agree with what you said there, Huss. I, I seen a post of Ben Stokes, uh, and, and I, I hope, um, he, I know he's had some mental health issues and he's had his finger um, mm. reset and that as well, and we, and we hope he, he gets right. But I, I seen him, he, he put up a post, he said, it's the first time I can get my finger around a cricket bat. Um, after surgeries, so I'm not convinced he's not going to play a part. Um, and watching Ben Stokes play, and we talk about the Ashen Theatre from our side of things, he he, he enjoys that contest as as much as oh. anyone. He enjoys um, getting into the Australians. He likes every bit about of it. A lot of their intimidation and and energy comes off the back of him. So I'm not convinced yet. That Ben Stokes won't play a role in this Ashes campaign. Sure. Big, big and that would be that'd be great for the series because he is a genuine match winner. He's it's like not a, going to be, it wouldn't be easy for him to come back after he hasn't held a bat for over what over six months, coming back from mental health issues to come straight in and have a massive impact would be an unbelievable effort. But I'm not willing to, to put it past him because uh, we've seen what he can do on the cricket field. He's pretty unbelievable. Well, England are also bringing out a line squad that mirrors the Ashes. So, yeah, yeah, I was thinking about, yes, they've got no cricket to play. But all, if Ben Stokes is available, all of a sudden they've got an extra game in here or it, he can yeah. get, I think, get some cricket. It, it, I think I'm more hoping that that happens um, just for the draw card um, of the series. I, I think if you have a, a look on paper at that, that England team, there's, there's 10 players that haven't toured Australia before. Joe Root's the only one um, who averages over over 40. Uh, we know how he's had a great um, last 18 months. And, and you look, we spoke about before, you, you look at Anderson and Broaden and their records, wow, they're, they're unbelievable. But the one thing over the last four months, they haven't got a lot of wickets in the second inning. And, 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 you, and they haven't got a, um, 
a spinner that's that's going to really worry the Australians um, in the second innings. They're, they're both finger spinners. They're not at a great height as well, which will which will test them in these conditions. So Arch is a huge loss. And I, I know you said I, I think Wood can play a role, but if you look over time, he, his body hasn't stood up to mm. S cricket at all. So they're going to have to be really sparing the way they use him. Um, and, and it might be that first... Um, those first two tests because you, you've got to win that first one to, to get your momentum going in the series. So, yeah, it's going to be a tough tour, but, yeah, I'm, I'm backing the Aussies for a pretty easy win. Yeah, they're not going to spin us out. So that, that they'd have to target test matches Adelaide. Yep. And, and, and probably, you know, the last one would be in Perth if it does happen, all swings a little bit. So it's almost like they, they wouldn't mind some draws in some places, but, you know, they, they don't bat deep. But, you know, that Malone actually batted okay out here last time. You know, mm. Root, you know, what isn't on his CV is a dominant Ashes series in Australia. So there, there, there's there's things to be achieved there. But, you know, Robinson, Broad, Overton, you know, I, I just think they just don't have that. They'll get good bounce here, but whether they've got that other zip. So they're going to have to use Wood smart and everything's going to have to go their way. What about the Aussie team? Like, a lot of it picks itself, really. I've got Pekofsky and Green in. You know, they're the future. It's probably number five for me. You know, Wadey's been there. Um, two great hundreds, last Ashes series over there, but he hasn't nailed it. Travis Head has started well. Um, it might be it might be shield form in the next month that actually gets that spot. I, I, I'm uncertain who bats five. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. Uh, so, so you reckon Pekofsky straight up the top with um, with David Warner? Uh, that, that's good. that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Hopefully, the Vicks can get a bit of cricket under their belt, and he can get. Yeah, we, I think we need a few shield games for those guys. You know, like yeah, um, Matthew Wade's think... not going to get any shield cricket, really, is he? He's just going to come straight mm-hmm. out of that T20 World Cup. So maybe Travis Head can put some pressure on him if he can, you know, keep plundering the runs. That was an unbelievable innings uh, for South Australia in the one day game the other day. Um, Unbelievable, but uh, I'm also looking forward to watching Cameron Green this year. You know um, what? What an unbelievable uh, cricketing experience for him. One to play against India last year. You know, against that uh, that that team and that and playing that series. But then to be you know be able to experience an Ashes series in you know his first couple of years of Test cricket. We're all hoping that he can take his game to a new level, cement his place at that number you know in number six. But he can also help out with the ball, and as his body gets stronger and stronger, hopefully he can. You know, punch out a few more overs and, and help out the likes of Cummins and Stark and Hayeswood and, and take a bit of a load off them because he's got enormous uh, upside there. But it won't be easy for him, you know, like he's got that taste and when you first come in, it's all exciting and fresh and, yeah, how good's this? But then the expectation starts to grow and, you know, oh, we're expecting this guy to get better and produce more. It's, it's, it's Sometimes it's not that easy. So I'm going to be really interested to watch how his development goes this year. I hope they stick with him and, and give him a good run at it because, you know, he's He's, he's a handy guy to have um, to, just for the balance of the team. But I, I also wouldn't write off someone like Mitch Marsh. You know, I, I know he's in the T20 World Cup at the moment and he's not going to have any red ball cricket, but as the series wears on, he's sort of at that age now where he's been through so many different stages of the journey. He's been through the ups, the downs, probably, and he's, he's in a really peaceful place at the moment. He's happy with himself, where his life's at, where his game's at. And I think that's a, a real sweet spot um, in a lot of cricketers where they – they become more experienced and they, they can then just have a good kick um, in, in their career. And I wouldn't be surprised if over the next couple of years we see some good, consistent performances from Mitch Marsh. Yeah, I agree. I've got a couple of different options I think Australia can go for. I, I think you're right with I think he'll play. Um, and I think they can use him in a couple of spots, actually. I, mm. I think you can him at, at number five or six. Um, and, and traditionally, Australia's done that with a younger kid coming through and, and bat it. And, and I wouldn't write off a, a, a Kawaja making a late push to, to open, with, uh, especially in a big series like um, this is. Um, he's got a great record up the top. He, he, he does play really, really well in Australia. And, and it might be one of those Chris Rogers type of selections for, for such a big series. And the other one I, I'd be interested if Pekoski stays at the top. I, I, I'm looking through the that's in state cricket. Moses Enrique. Mm. And, and I know he's a New South Welshman and we, we know we should get more of those in his hand, but <laughs> I, I've liked the, the style of the way he, he scored his runs. Um, and, and if you had Green at five or six, that 
what Moses has done, he, he's, he's moved the game forward um, there. He's got a lot of runs for New South Wales. He's actually held them together for, for a couple of yeah. years. Um, now he's getting hundreds. He can do a little bit with the ball. He's a good fielder. He's also another good leader to have around that team. So I'll, I'll be interested to see if he can push his claims um, for that first test spot. Glenford, what question for both of you, really? Why aren't we hearing any, why aren't I hearing any love for Marcus Harris here? He's, he's one that has scored a lot of runs for Victoria over the last few years. He showed what he could do against India, against that world class attack, scored a couple of, you know, consistently some good runs. Probably needed to kick on a little bit more and, and turn those good starts into hundreds. But why aren't I hearing any love for him? Why aren't we hearing Pukowski and, and Reeks and, um, and, and other guys? Kawaja. Oh, I went with Pukowski right hander. Yeah, you know, with Broad and and Robinson loving those lefties, and we saw what they did over in England, two thousand nineteen, and scores big. He's gone three double hundreds, Pekovsky. Um, but I could live with him at five. But then you got two young blokes, Pekovsky and um, Green. So I was a bit with Usman's batting in the middle order for Queensland. So I could live with him at number five. Marcus Harris, a bit like Travis Head, that they've had opportunities, haven't taken it. But they've gone back domestically and dominated, so good on you. And and Harry averaged 50 in county cricket. So I'm hoping um, his next opportunity is the one that you're saying with Mitchell Marsh. And uh, it might be when, when hopefully, Pekoski does well. It's when Warner finishes and Marcus Harris moves up to open. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think we've seen the, the last of Marcus Harris. Um, he's come in at some pretty tough series. Uh, and, and the one thing I liked about his um, game recently is that he went over and played in England. Um, he, he had a few technical flaws going into that Ashes campaigns that got exposed for some really good bowlers. But you, you know over there how the ball moves around early. He batted at number three, tried something something different. So I, I think he would have got a, a, a real lot out of that tour, um, just going to play county cricket. And the one thing we all need at the moment, we, we just need some state cricket so we can sort of throw these guys up. We're all throwing these names up without seeing, um, he, he might shoot the lights out um, to start with what he's experienced and his confidence he got from um, county season. Yeah, let's just hope he gets some shit. Look, looks like Victoria and New South Wales are going to play against each other and we'll go that. But uh, finishing up, boys, because Huss, you've got to go. Just some questions from the crowd. Um, boy, it was obviously from South Africa. Uh, facing, can you talk about Mornay, Morkel and Dale Stain. Well, you see these grey hairs, uh, Flem. That that is a uh, it's directly proportional to facing both those guys. Um, both different, one tall, one skinny. Um, just horrible. Uh, Mornay Morkel, obviously that ugly bounce, everything sort of up around the ribs, and um, yeah, uh, oh, he he, he used to always come round the wicket to me though. And, and I remember at the MCG, he bowled round the wicket. He bowled this short ball, hit me <laughs> so hard in the head, it went out to um, square leg, and I got caught. And they sort of did a half appeal and. And Alan Dar gave me out. <laughs> and I was like looking at Alan Dar saying there was no referrals back in those days and um, it was just too quick for me. You know, I didn't have time yeah. to move. It hit me head so hard. But with Dale Stain, it's, it's all in the eyes. You know, like he, he starts running in and he's got these eyes like he doesn't want to get you out. He wants to kill you first. And uh, I don't know, it was just he had this like wrist as well where it sort of looked like every ball was going to be short, but he had that beautiful shape on as well. And oh, it was just it was just bloody horrible, both of them. Yeah. I remember playing a test match at Durban, actually, Hassan. And, <laughs> oh. uh, you remember that? And Hassan is the most composed person. And I remember coming out to bat, and the, you know where the, the cloud comes in a bit? Durban starts quicken up again. <laughs> so Hassan's decided to get in a, a like a verbal stouse with, with stain. And, and all of a sudden, he went... <laughs> Swing the ball, been like 135 to 100. And I remember coming into bat thinking, what have you what done? I've up there all day. Bill Hughes has got 100. Ponning's got 100. And all of a sudden, we're, we're fighting for um, survival out here. <laughs> no, the funny thing about that was, Flem, that, that, that was the only time I've ever lost it on a cricket field, right? So, so as had said, we were dominating. You know, Cadoga runs, Hughes, he was smashing him. So Dale Stane, he called out to Graham Smith, said, give me the bloody ball. I'm just going to kill him. And I just happened to be at the striker's end. So it was bouncer after bouncer that hit on the shoulder, one foot past my eyebrows, another one hit the other shoulder, and I could feel the blood coming up my legs. And I thought, I'm not going to be able to stop this. And he told me this next one, and I said, F you, Dale Stain. And he said, you're shitting yourself, aren't you? And I said, you know I'm shitting myself. <laughs> you know, so I just completely lost it. 
Anyway, I somehow survived that night and I come into the dressing room and I sit down and I'm feeling terrible because I'm thinking I'm batting so bad. I was struggling. I could not. I was just struggling. Sit down, my head, my head down like this, not out overnight. Andrew McDonald came and sat next to me and he goes, thank you, God, Huss. Thank you so much for getting through that because I was next in and I did not <laughs> want to come out there and face that. <laughs> oh, it was unbelievable. Um, like, what about uh, someone asked, do you remember a Sri Lankan player called Taranga Panara Patana? Oh, do I what? <laughs> I think I knocked him over. Didn't you catch him, Harry? I think I got him caught behind off heads, didn't I? That's the <laughs> only dismissal between you two, test cricket. No, no, that's, that's not true. We got, uh, we got a leg side stumping too, didn't we? Um, yes. Jesse Ryder from New Zealand. Oh, over his stomach. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon he did at that time. Uh, boys, uh, what was it like playing with Doug Bollinger? <laughs> oh, Glenn Pads. He's my all-time favourite. Yes. D- Doug, he got, um, he got hard done by as the, as the class clown and things, but once he got the ball in his hand, he, he, was as, he went through a period when Ryan Harris was going to, I, and for a couple of years, yeah. where he, him and Ryan were, were skillful bowls in the country, but he... I remember captaining him a lot, and it, it was great. I, I remember one time at South Australia, had a couple of young blokes come out to bat, and he's walked up to him and he's kicked the bat. And I thought, oh God, what's he done here? How am I going to do? How am I going to defend this? And I walked past him and said, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'll intimidate these young guys." Said, so "Don't worry about." It. I thought, oh God, anyway, <laughs> this called me over, and he said to me, he "said mate, you've got to you've got to stop um, Bollinger." I said, "Oh yeah, well, what do you do?" He said, "I oh, he's kicked the." the batter at the other end, the young kid's been intimidated since his first game. I thought, oh, is he? I said, I'll go down and talk to him. Anyway, I walked down and talked to Doug. I said, mate, <laughs> doing what you're doing. This young kid is shitting himself. <laughs> anyway, he's sort of grown a bit. He's sort of started. His, anyway, he's a bit near him. He's kicking him, this young kid. He didn't last long. And the umpires called me over and I said, mate, I've tried. But you know how hard it is to deal with? Doug, you know the personality is. Anyway, he said, oh, can you have another talk to him? I said, yeah, I'll try. I said what you said before. Walked down to Douglas. Mate, they got another debutant here. Do exactly the same thing. <laughs> and he got away with it all because they thought he was nuts. But <laughs> another one, and I've got a million stories about Doug. He's <laughs> in a shield game. We're, we're bowling. He's going over and around the wicket. What are you doing? It's like we just started. And, and I've walked up to him. And I was captain the I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just tired. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm just making a move the side screen. He said, because it's so hard to move that SDG side screen. It takes ages. It gives me another minute. Have this. I'm not about two overs. So he was a bit more clever than people gave him thought for. Uh, he, he was a skillful bowler, Flem, honestly. Yeah. He was a very skillful bowler, big heart. He'd run in all day for you. But I, I, I played with him at the IPL as well for Chennai. And it was, unfortunately, he had a, um, he got a taste of those Bloody Marys. And so I remember the night before a game, he must have had, I don't know how many Bloody Marys. And we weren't playing until 8 o'clock the next night. Dougie Bo- I was at mid-off. Dougie Bollinger's bowling. He bowled 1.3 overs. He's walking back to his mark as slow as he can. I said, Dougie, you all right? And he goes, oh, I've got Bloody Marys sweating out of me. He bowled 1.3 overs. Was- <laughs> but I tell you what, he-, he was a skillful bowler. I remember when he uh, first started playing for New South Wales. New South Wales versus WA at the Wacker. And Justin Langle has been interviewed and said, oh, what do you know about this new Doug Bollinger? You know, I've heard he's a pretty good bowler. JL's going to be, <laughs> Doug Bollinger, come on. I've faced Wazim Macram. I've faced the great bowlers, you know, Test Cricket, you know, Shoal Actor, you know, these guys, this, and he rattled them off. I'm not going to have too many problems with Dougie Bollinger. Sure enough, Dougie got JL at about four or five times, I reckon. You know, <laughs> he was a bloody good bowler. Well, I was coaching at the academy in Queensland, and that was the one thing. Lang as my bunny. That was the first <laughs> thing he said to me. A funny thing about that day, when it, he, he heard Langer in the press conference, Alfie say, oh, face was a macro in my face, and he nicked him off, and this was unscripted, and, and he's run past Alfie and gone, shabash, shabash. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> For the next uh, five overs, they had a nick to the slip WA. We, we weren't catching it. It was unscripted, and he just had those little moments which, oh, which, yeah. which, which oh. were great. 
Well, what about that moment when he took that wicket, wicket at the Wacker and he went to kiss the emblem and he kissed the wrong, he kissed the VB symbol in front of him? <laughs> Channel 9, they replayed it about 100 times. It was funny. <laughs> if there's one man who, who would do that, you just would have picked up, you wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. But if you look at his stats, you know, like um, did a great job in the games that he played. But, um, hey, gentlemen, thanks for being on the Biology Report. Um, Good luck over the summer, Hads. You'll be quarantining. And then have you got a little bit of commentary over the uh, over the summer again? Yeah, I've got a, a bit of uh, – I've got some Fox. But we're pretty busy there with the, a big summer and I've got some uh, Triple M, so I'm excited about that. Very oh, busy. Good, good luck. What about you, Mr Cricket? Yeah, I'm with the Fox Cricket again this year, so looking forward to the Ashes. Thanks for having me on, Flem. Really enjoyed it. Hads, good luck getting through the next nine days or ten, whatever it is, left in quarantine. I'll, I'll have to give you the odd call just to try and give you someone to talk to uh, <laughs> every now and then. I, I, Thanks, I, boys. I only came on today because I thought we were going for four hours, so I, 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 I'd lock it in. Hey, do, do you want to do next week's now? We'll, we'll get rid of Mr Cricket. We'll, we'll continue on. I, I tell you what, by day... 13, I, I don't think you want to talk to me in here. I, I, could, I could be doing anything. <laughs> All right, see you, lad. Yeah, hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 